I'm John Gormley. Good that you've joined us today. And if you've been here for the past three and a half hours, you are in for a very interesting guest. If you've just dropped by, you're still in for a very interesting guest. Uh, one of the academics at the University of Saskatchewan doing such amazing work with therapy and service dogs is Lindsay Williamson, assistant professor of psychology, and her specialty has been the outcomes of therapy and service dog programs, measuring the human-animal bond, and working with the entire animal-assisted services industry. Hands up, anybody who doesn't like service dogs. Nope, nobody. We love service dogs. So the latest project underway is dealing with veterans, and particularly uh, veterans with PTSD. We find Dr. Williamson in Saskatoon today. Uh, Lindsay, great to chat. Thanks so much for taking our call. Thanks so much for having me. Tell me a little about this newest project. Uh, why veterans, and what are the sort of three things you're going to be branching off and doing? Mm-hmm. So this actually, this project is a continuation of research that I've been doing for the last five years. So I started working with my mentor, Dr. Colleen Dell at the University of Saskatchewan, and she was approached by a service dog organization that was working with veterans and first responders. And so they started a research project. I kind of came in partway through that and assisted them to uh, complete that project. That got me my first kind of taste of what it might be like to work with veterans and service dog organizations. And once I started hearing some of the stories about the power of those relationships, I was completely hooked. And so I ended up applying for and receiving my own research funding to continue looking into some of the research questions we had around veterans and service dogs. So we had looked at not only do the dogs affect their PTSD symptoms, we also looked at what was it like to integrate the service dogs into the family homes. We looked at uh, public perceptions of uh, veterans who are working with service dogs. We're also looking at the live living experience of people who are navigating the service dog industry as a whole. And then the more current research that we have received an additional three years of funding for, the first study will be uh, looking at how do we best tailor educational interventions for different demographics of the Canadian population to help them understand the best ways to interact or maybe even not interact with service dog teams that are out in community spaces. Uh, second project, we'll be looking at how do we optimize the human-animal bond for veterans who are working with service dogs and other handlers uh, as well. And then the third study, we'll be looking at a social, sorry, more so determining the social value with a little bit of the monetary value as well of the outcomes for veterans when they are working with service dogs. Sort of doing like a cost-benefit of, of how it all works out. A little bit. I like this approach that we're going to be using a little bit better because it really centers not only the inputs in terms of how much money is put into a program, but really trying to uh, apply a, a monetary value to the social outcomes for whom the program matters. So in our case, it will be the veterans who are working with service dogs and also looking at what are potential benefits for the service dogs themselves. Psychology Prof. Lindsay Williamson with us. What do service dogs do that is so positive? 
Well, first and foremost, service dogs are, their training is tailored to meet the needs of their handler and the handler's disability that they might have. And sometimes they have multiple disabilities that they need assistance with. So when once you have the dog, you know, trained to a point where they can really hone in on what their handler needs, I mean, it's, it, the possibilities are endless in terms of what they can do. But with the veterans that I have spoken to and worked with, I mean, one of the biggest themes that keep coming out is that, you know, a lot of individuals with PTSD, it's hard for them to connect. It's hard for them to want to go out into public spaces. So when you hear about individuals who are so disconnected because of their their illness and their symptoms that they experience, and then after working with a dog for, you know, depends on how long it might be, it might be a few months, might be a year or so, but suddenly they start to feel safe again and they start to feel like connecting with themselves, connecting with other people, connecting with, you know, people out in public spaces as well, they, they start to feel like that's possible again because of the dog. How does it happen? How does, I mean, any of us who have ever had a relationship with a dog know it, but it's hard to describe. How does it happen that this works between a dog and a human? Well, for one thing, you know, for individuals who have PTSD, I mean, it's about the dog being able to um, attend to their, their needs. So if suddenly somebody feels a little bit more elevated, feels like they're, they're, they're a little bit, bit stressed, or they might even feel a flashback coming on, um, the dog can actually interrupt them um, and can help them regulate their nervous system again. Uh, otherwise, this is something, you know, that trying to understand what it is specifically, what's that underlying mechanism of how the dog works, that is something that our research team is, is wanting to investigate a lot further. But we do know that there's a lot related to that human-animal bond. We also know that dogs are social capital. You know, they are a way for people to connect with others, especially, you know, individuals who, who really do like animals and have had animals um, either currently or in the past, we know that they can be a great conversation starter as well. So I think when we're looking at that social connection piece, it is the fact that the dogs are that bridge between people. Lindsay Williamson, some new research on service dogs and veterans, in particular those with PTSD. Is there a breed of dog that in your research and even sort of from an empirical basis that ends up as a service dog more often than others? Not necessarily, because I know that there's, you know, in practice, I think a lot of people are used to seeing service dogs uh, that are either Labrador, uh, like so Golden Labs or, or uh, any any in the Labrador kind of family and poodles and, and generally the standard poodles. So the, the taller one. Um, but research has found that it doesn't really necessarily matter as long as the dogs are a really good fit for the type of work they're going to be doing and to uh, their ability to meet the needs of their handler. So, for example, if you needed a dog to help you move around or get you up off of a chair, you might not want a chihuahua for that, for <laughs> example, but uh, as cute as they are. Um, and so you might need a larger dog depending on, again, your mobility needs. But a lot of dogs, you know, no matter what their breed, if they like to work and if they like to have a job, if they want to have their lives enriched, if they are good with people, good in public spaces, 
um, and want to learn, they can be a really good fit as a service dog. But there's a lot of assessment that has to go into that. So that has to be left up to the professionals, but also should be, you know, related to conversations with the handler as well, because they're ultimately going to be, you know, living and working with that dog on a, a very <laughs> continued basis. Right. Lindsay, it's always great getting caught up. Thanks so much and keep up the great work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Lindsay Williamson in Saskatoon, assistant professor of psychology. And uh, she took over the work uh, or was certainly mentored by Colleen Dell, uh, who we've spoken with in the past. We've also chatted with Lindsay. Colleen is the uh, person who got so much of this research underway. And there are a number of academics all working in the area of therapy dogs and service dogs. There's a difference. And particularly uh, in the case of Lindsay's research, service dogs and military veterans. Uh, Recently, she talks about the three studies in her new project. One, the different methods of communicating, improving communication with the public about how you interact with service dogs or not. Uh, Number two, the human-animal bond and how it's maximized. And number three, a feasibility study that does a social return on investment calculation. Ah, service dogs. I'm John Gormley. This is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. I'm John Gormley. If you are interested, because this is a flaming dumpster inside a slow motion train wreck, I don't recommend it, but you might want to have a look if you're on Twitter, aka X. Do you remember the name Laith Maroof? He is this hate monger and flaming anti-Semite who was paid by the Trudeau government about $134,000 to be a media consultant on decolonizing the media. And he is a very progressive, very left-wing guy on the media. Well, it turned out from a number of his social media posts The guy is a deranged Jew hater. I mean, that's all you can say. Worse, you know, anti-Semite. He's just outrageous. He was removed from social media. Just coincidentally, this morning, I saw a post from him, and he uh, tweets under King of Lion Kings. And he's back on Twitter, and this guy is insane. He keeps going on about Canada that he calls Canada KKK. K with a so 3K Canada and the Jew Seder lobby instead of Crusader, the Jew Seder lobby um, in apartheid KKK Canada thinks crime minister Turdo should follow the orders of Tel Aviv and it just goes post after post and It's entertaining to watch the Jewish white supremacists do this and this. The guy just goes on and on. And I'm not, and his king of lion kings, Palestine is our homeland. And he's only got fewer than 600 followers, but the guy is completely on tilt. It's either him or somebody with access to his Twitter account, but I was going through it and it's just like you just, you recoil and then you think, In Canada, this is a guy who came here as an immigrant. I believe he's now a Canadian citizen. And this kind of appalling stuff. So uh, there was 
somebody said, you know, this man must be reported, he must be stopped. You know my thought on this sort of thing? Just let him go. Just watch the dumpster fire train wreck, and the guy's going to completely self-destruct, or he'll be led away in handcuffs. So to me, it's maybe I'm just being more than tolerant, but I, it's just crazy stuff. So this is today's, at least according to the Trudeau government and its emphasis on decolonialization, you know, the media having to be deconstructed. Nobody is happy these days uh, with very much in this country. So uh, the prime minister driven out last night from a restaurant, about a hundred pro-Palestinian anti-Israeli protesters yelling shame. You've got blood on your hands, genocide. And that was two hours after he completely alienated the state of Israel, such that the prime minister and the opposition leader in the Knesset have both separately done posts that Justin Trudeau is not a friend of Israel uh, by his conduct and his language and him telling Israel that um, this is not acceptable. And then he went on a sort of a typical Trudeau, you know, use maximum restraint. And then he breathlessly went over all his his concerns about what Israel's doing. And uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu said, while Israel is doing everything to keep civilians out of harm's way, Hamas is doing everything to keep them in harm's way. And then he pushes back and says, it is not Israel that's been targeting civilians, but Hamas. And then uh, and then the opposition leader uh, was even stronger because he said that if Canada were ever to have encountered anything like Israel has been through, he said, you have no doubt Israel would be behind you. And that's what we would expect of you as a Canadian and a prime minister. So... It was a little bit of a shame trip on the Prime Minister. But uh, he's now off, uh, jumped on a brand new Airbus A330 off at APEC. Uh, This is the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit. Uh, It's going on in San Fran. So the Prime Minister left this morning, and this is the replacement plane. And unlike everybody else who criticizes politicians and their planes, I don't. I don't like him taking jets out to Tofino. I don't like him sort of jet setting around at our expense. But when the PM travels any kind of distance, give them something they can fly on. And the old plane, which was vintage the early Kretchen, late Mulroney days, uh, was running into all sorts of problems. And it has been recycled. It was an Airbus plane, but vintage uh, late 1980s. So this new wide-bodied Airbus uh, can carry a number of people, the media often fly along with the PM. And uh, so he busted out the brand new Airbus A330. By the way, the government bought nine Airbus planes, but most of them are for military use, refueling jet fighters, um, deployment planes, those sorts of things. Well, have a great rest of this day. Our gang returns here tomorrow. And among other things, uh, we'll be checking in. Uh, Corey Hirsch, former NHL goaltender and coach, on a mental health conference coming up in Humboldt, and the lawyer for a Regina nurse who is being disciplined by the Saskatchewan nursing regulators for some things she said during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Those sorts of uh, cases are still going on. See you back here tomorrow morning. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.